The text as we finish up our study of Acts for this year is Acts 8, 26 to 40, which is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. Luke writes for us, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What what can stand in the way of my being baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot, Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is God's word. So, if you were to take this text right out of the Bible... I don't think you would notice. It's kind of an aside, a tangent of a text, right? It doesn't really fit with the greater narrative of what's happening in the book of Acts. And yet, for my money, this is one of the most important texts in the entire book, like top five, in my opinion. Because it lays out for us a really cool picture into ministry in Mississauga. You might think to yourself, that is awfully specific, Pastor. Uh, I hope to show you exactly why I can claim that. Um, But why this text is worth the price of your attention this morning is that as a church, we want to be a group of people who are reaching those who do not know Jesus. It's why we exist, right? If God wanted the best thing for us, he would take us out of this world. We would all die tonight and go be with Jesus in heaven. But he leaves us here not to sin, which is one thing we can do when we're not in heaven, but the other thing that we can do when we're not in heaven, which is share the gospel with others. So I'm gonna walk back through the text, make sure you understand what's happening in this text, and then I wanna break the teaching into three points, which you can see on your notes sheet. If you did not grab a notes sheet, uh, that's all right, you can get up anytime and grab one from the music stand at the back. So the text starts with Philip being told by an angel to go to a desert road out in kind of the middle of nowhere because, of course, God knows that on this road he's going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch who's on his way back from Jerusalem. A a couple things about this man. First of all, a eunuch. Uh, If you don't know what a eunuch is, don't Google it. Um, It it basically means that uh, he could not have children. He had had a surgery that made it impossible for him to have children. And you may be wondering to yourself, well, why would somebody do that? It was actually far more common than you might imagine in the ancient world to have people, well, castrated. Uh, The reason was the position that the Ethiopian eunuch held. You see in the text that he worked for the queen of the Ethiopians. 
And if you think this through, it makes sense that a high official in a queen's court would want to not be able to sire children. Because if you start getting a little bit too big for your britches and you seduce the queen, suddenly you have a bloodline that is royal. And so since the, the queen would not want this to happen, neither would her officials around her, they would have the high officials of a queen's court castrated. Now again, you might still think that's kind of weird, but before you do, let me just help you imagine for a second that this is kind of what we still do today. How many people make a sacrifice of their family or their potential family for the sake of their work? How many husbands or fathers barely see their kids because they're putting in extra hours at the office? How many women put off having children or abort their children because it doesn't work for their career? I mean, this is pretty common even today, even though we don't go through a permanent surgery in order to make it happen. So he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, and this Ethiopian eunuch, the text tells us, is coming back from Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple things that are interesting about that. First of all, we know that when he would have gotten to Jerusalem, he would have almost certainly been rejected at worship. Because the Old Testament says that no one who has been castrated is welcome in the temple of God. And so can you imagine this man's experience? He has traveled hundreds of miles from Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem just to be told at the front door, yes, sorry, but you can't come in. I wonder if that's why he was pouring back over the text of Isaiah. Like looking at it and saying, what did I miss? Was there something in here that I didn't read correctly? Like, I don't get it. I'm I, confused. Oh, Philip is there. And so the, the spirit tells him to go over by this man. And, and Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, I, I don't, obviously. I need someone to explain it to me. And so Philip does. He explains what that text means. And then the text tells us he goes on from there and explains the entire gospel. This leads to the Ethiopian finally understanding what was going on, which is interesting to me, too. Like, he went to church, so to speak, completely ignorant of the gospel. He didn't understand it, which should also make us think twice. Like, when we come to church, do we come for the gospel or do we come for something else, regardless of what it was? He didn't come for the right reasons. It, it took Philip coming to him and showing him from the text who Jesus was and why that mattered to him for him to understand the gospel, but he does. And they get down from the chariot and Philip baptizes him, gives him that assurance of God's love and favor, that covenant of peace. And then all of a sudden, Philip is gone. And this is the text. Now, I think this will teach us a number of things about how we can reach the city and community around us with this same gospel message. So if you're following along with, on, with us in your notes, there are three points. The challenge, the method, and the maintenance of gospel ministry here in our city. We'll start with the challenge. If you were to make a list of a type of person who, from a human perspective, would be really hard to convince that Jesus was the Savior of the world, who would those people be? Like, like the type of person who, at least from a human perspective, you would say, there's not a really good chance I'm getting them to believe in Jesus. Take 15 seconds right now and lean over to someone near you and tell somebody what you think. What would be a category, even just one, of the type of person who you think would be really hard to convert into the gospel? Go ahead.
Now, sorry to cut your conversations off a little bit short. There could be any number of things that you might, said, but, might have said, but I've got six here for you. Uh, my six are, first of all, that they would come from an alternative religious background. Right? They believe something else. Another type of person I think would be challenging would be somebody from the LGBTQ plus community. I believe it would be hard to convert people who are rich because they don't feel like they have much need for anybody else's help with their life. People who are highly educated because they think I know better than these myths and fantasies of stupid people. Uh, Somebody who is ethnically or culturally or linguistically different than me. And finally, somebody who has been hurt by church in the past. Now, you might have had other things, but these are the six that come to mind for me. And the Ethiopian eunuch is all of them. He's all of them. He comes from an alternative religious background, right? He's an Ethiopian, which at that time meant he worshipped Ethiopian gods. He's from what we would probably classify under the LGBTQ plus community because he's been sexually altered by a surgery. He's not normal sexually, we might say. He's rich because he's got a chariot, somebody to drive that chariot, and he owns a scroll of Isaiah, which it was not common to have your own copies of sacred texts. He's highly educated because he can read that scroll, which makes him unique in his culture. He's ethnically different, obviously. He's Ethiopian. Philip is a Jew. And as you heard, he's been hurt by the church in the past. He's all of these things, which means from a human point of view, this is a conversion that definitely should not have happened. But here's where I think the, the rubber hits the road for us. This isn't just the Ethiopian eunuch. This is our city. Right, we live in one of the most religiously diverse places on earth. Did you know that in the GTA we have over a million Muslims, over 500,000 Hindus, and the densest population of Sikhs in the entire world besides their original Punjab region? We are a highly religiously diverse community. We are also the center of the LGBTQ plus world on this continent, with the biggest pride parade on the continent and the most uh, populated LGBTQ plus community in the country. We are the richest city in Canada. We are the second most highly educated city in Canada, if you count people who have a higher education degree. We are obviously ethnically diverse, and we have a lot of people who have been hurt by church. The people who study these things, the demographics of church attendance will say that one of the biggest reasons for a uh, decline in church attendance in younger generations is people who look at their parents or grandparents and feel that the church has mistreated them. This is our city, which means what Philip does has a lot of importance for us. And maybe one last reason why it's really important for us to think about this. It can be really easy to find a whole lot of happiness and success in being a church where people who, well, they come in because they already have some reason to be here, to fill our pews, to give offerings to support our ministry. Those things are fine, and we can get happy about that, right? The people who maybe they've become apathetic about church and they come back to it, or, or maybe they had a Christian background, but they, they found a, a deeper sense of God and his scripture here, or, or it's maybe somebody who's an immigrant from another country who's already been a Christian and finds our church. Those things are fine, but... But God calls us to bring the gospel to people who don't know it. Those six characteristics and maybe some of the other ones you listed too, those are the people who need Jesus, who are in darkness but need to find that light. So let's see what Philip teaches us about how to reach folks like this. 
I gave you four principles that he shows us. They're on your note sheet under point two, the method. The first of those is to be present. Be present. Uh, You notice in the text that the angel tells Philip to go to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then later in the text, he tells him to just go by the chariot and stay by it. Uh, The angel of the Lord, the Spirit of God, tells Philip to go to a place where he would otherwise not go and just exist. (laughs) Like a desert road in Ontario is a beautiful thing, right? If you want to get out of the city, you drive up north, there's nobody around, it's just the sky and the trees and the rocks and the water and it's beautiful. Not so in this world. Like going on a desert road was a dangerous thing to do, not just because there weren't gas stations that you could pull off to and make sure you could be refreshed, but this is where bandits and robbers lived, where wild animals existed who could kill you. It was not safe to go to a desert road. And yet that's exactly what the Spirit of God tells Philip to do. And he tells us to do the same. I think it's really easy for us to, in a modern Western culture, to seek comfort. And comfort generally means I don't have to do a lot and I don't have to be with toxic or weird or upsetting people. And so what do we do? We silo ourselves off. We keep ourselves in our house, away from as many people as possible. We mute them on our social medias. We don't answer the texts or calls right away. We, we narrow our lives away from people because we feel like it's safer or at least a little bit more comfortable. We move away from dangerous parts of the city because we're afraid. We want to be safe. We want to be comfortable. And that is exactly the opposite of what God calls us to do. He calls us to go to places that are difficult, that are challenging, that are dangerous, that are uncomfortable for the sake of reaching the people who live there. And I I haven't been a pastor that long, so maybe this will happen later in my ministry. But up to this point, you know some things I've never heard anybody say? Hey, pastor, I was thinking um, that... I want to move into a denser part of the city so that I can, I can reach more people for the gospel. I've never heard anybody say, we're going to pick up the family and move away from our neighborhood into this, this darker neighborhood so that we can be a light for the gospel in a place where people need it. Oh, Pastor, you know, I think we're just going to downsize because we want to be in, a, in an apartment so we can see people regularly. <laughs> no one says that. At least I've never heard it. And I don't blame you. Like, I want to be as comfortable as any of you wants to be. But what God is calling us to do, we want to reach the people of our city, is to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to move from the house that you live in. But it's going to be to ask yourself, what uncomfortable situations am I avoiding? Just because I want to feel comfortable. And how could those uncomfortable situations actually lead to an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? I'm thinking about this too because as a congregation, if we can be really personal, we're thinking about moving to a new church home, right? I mean, hopefully in the next couple years, we'll be out of this building and into another building that we can call our own. Where do we put that building? I mean, obviously, at some level, we don't have a choice in the matter, but like as we look at the opportunities that God puts in front of us, are we going to think about what makes us comfortable or what allows us to reach people? And that doesn't mean that we're going to plant in downtown Mississauga or move closer to Toronto or to Milton or Brampton. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It's just an attitude to say, where does God want us to serve people? We're going to be comfortable for eternity. Right now is our chance to do good work. And we're going to do good work when we're in the places where people are. So God calls us to be present. And then he calls us to ask 
questions. You notice how Philip approaches this Ethiopian eunuch? The Bible tells us that he comes up to him and asks, do you understand what you're reading? He doesn't come up to him and say, hey, I know that verse. Hey, can I tell you about the gospel? Hey, are you saved? Have you given your life to Christ yet? No, he doesn't do that. He just asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And maybe this just is me, but this is like one of the most profound and yet simple things that I think every one of us could implement in our life to share the gospel with other people. It's to not share the gospel right away. But as we approach people who we know do not share the same faith as we do, maybe we could ask them a question. It doesn't have to be this question specifically. It could be a question like, what keeps, what keeps you up at night? What gives you peace? Like, what makes you feel okay in this world? How do you handle that? How did you come to that conclusion? Tell me more about that. I don't understand. What do you believe? These questions open up people for a couple different reasons. I mean, first of all, just think of the alternative. Like, if you came to a person and said, all right, I want to tell you about Jesus now, that conversation's not going to go well. But also, because the people who study these things, they say that in order to convert a person from one way of thinking to another, and not even in a religious context, just in general, to change your mind about something, you can't just be given evidence for something being better. You have to also be shown that what you believe is not good enough. In a sense, in order to be converted, you need to first be deconverted. And asking questions is the best way to do this, because here's the secret. If you believe a lie, eventually it will expose itself. Right? A lie cannot hold on to the truth. It cannot, uh, cannot deceive forever. And the more you ask questions, the more you expose in that person's own understanding of themselves that what they believe, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't answer the big questions. It doesn't give them lasting peace. It doesn't give them a promise for a future, which then gives you the chance to share the gospel with them. Which leads us to step number three. Know the text. Know the text. You know, when the, the Ethiopian eunuch has the scroll of Isaiah open, Philip comes up onto the chariot and, and he says, hey, what, this passage, is the author talking about himself or somebody else? You know what would have been really embarrassing? If Philip would have said, um, yeah, I don't know that part. But he knew it, right? He knew the text. He knew what Isaiah was talking about. He knew how this text related to Jesus. And if we hope to reach this city, it's going to come from us knowing the scriptures. Because as the Bible says in multiple places, this scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is the power of salvation for those who are being saved. The scripture is going to be the key to helping people realize who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And that starts with us knowing the scriptures. It starts with us opening our Bibles every Sunday morning, every day of the week, devotional life for ourselves, with our family, Bible study with other Christians, knowing the text. Now, I'm not saying that you all have to become biblical scholars. That's not the point. But I would say this. Generally, people in our church and our church body, I think they underestimate themselves in their ability to know the Bible. Like, if you've been listening to Pastor Joel's preaching and all of your vicars and my preaching for a number of years, you're pretty well equipped with the scriptures. I think you actually know quite a bit more than you think. So build on that. Open your Bible. Pray your Psalms. Read those scriptures. Ask questions of me. In fact, one of my greatest experiences as a pastor is when someone texts me and says, Pastor, I have a question. 
I will drop literally just about everything in my life to answer that text. Please do it. I want you to know the scriptures. Which leads us to the fourth step. That we share the gospel. Explain the gospel, right? It says that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, before we talk about what the good news about Jesus is that Philip shared with this Ethiopian, I just want to pause for a second and, and think about the fact that Philip shared the gospel. There could have been a number of other things that Philip could have started talking about with this Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe, first and foremost, at least in the mind of our hypersexualized culture, the fact that he was a eunuch. I'm thinking about this not just because we live in a city that is the center of this continent's LGBTQ plus community, but I've also been given an assignment by our church body to study what it means for pastors to serve people who struggle with gender identity issues. So I'm thinking about that. And I'm also thinking about some of you who have recently asked me, what are we supposed to do about this stuff with like Bud Light sponsoring Dylan Mulvaney and and Target putting out clothing that, that pushes an agenda? What are we supposed to do about that? We preach the gospel. It's not that those things don't matter. They do. And scripture speaks to them clearly. But let's remember what we're about. I think if you would transplant like the average Christian from North America in 2023 into that same area with the Ethiopian eunuch, I wonder how uncomfortable he would have been by the fact that that man was a eunuch, that he was sexually altered by a surgery. I know that Philip wasn't. Philip shared the gospel. And regardless of the LGBTQ plus community, let's think about this as our attitude towards every person that we meet. There might be things about them that make us uncomfortable, things that they do that we know are not in line with God's word, but our job is to share Christ with them. And that's exactly what Philip does, right? It says that he starts with that very passage of scripture and shares the good news. What did he share? I think you get a little bit of an insight because of the text that the Ethiopian was looking at. You remember it? He talks about who... Will have, uh, who will have a knowledge of his descendants? Remember that phrase? As the Ethiopian eunuch, I think, was looking at this text, he was wondering, that sounds like me. Where do I fit? Am I like this author, or is the author talking about someone else? How do I relate to this text? And I can only imagine what Philip did. He said, there was a man who was led like a lamb to the slaughter and yet did not open his mouth, who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And, and no one could speak of his descendants because he was never married and he never had children. He died an ignominious death so that you wouldn't have to. So that you, even though you will never sire children, Mr. Ethiopian, you are going to have a family a family of people that, that isn't just Ethiopian, but is transcosmic. It goes not just across space, but across time. You can be welcomed in. You're no longer a dry tree. You're part of this nation that God is building because of the work of somebody else. And that man, he was raised from the dead, which means that you're going to live. You're going to live forever. And that's the same message we share. Not just with people out there, but with each other in here. That Christ has done all the work necessary for our salvation. 
that he has died for our sins and been raised alive for our justification, that he's given us all of his good works so that no matter what we've done in our life, it is not only erased, but it is replaced by all of Christ's righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he does not see just good enough or just getting by or starting to clean up, but everything that he's ever wanted and expected. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Philip shared, and it's what we share as well. So we be present, we ask questions, we know the scriptures, and we explain the gospel. Which leads us to the last step. Then what? <laughs> I think if we did these four steps, we could probably get some people to start coming to our church and, and to enjoy this amazing message of the gospel, but there's more to it than that, because it turns out every one of you has come into this church, and you're still here. <laughs> it turns out after you become a Christian, you keep coming to this place to hear this same message, and actually, I think the text gives us some insight into what that's supposed to look like as well. Because as we think about reaching people who don't believe what we believe, we can't simply see this as an intellectual pursuit. It's not just about getting the right thoughts in your brain. It's being welcomed into that same kind of family that I'm sure Philip talked about when he preached Isaiah to this Ethiopian end. So we have to build a community here. And the text shows us that as well. The maintenance of this ministry starts with coming together. It starts with coming together. You notice again in the text that Philip asked this man, do you understand what you're reading? And his answer was, how can I unless someone explains it to me? You know what I think God could have done? He could have just let that man open up the scroll of Isaiah and by the power of the Holy Spirit converted him into the Christian faith. He didn't need Philip, did he? And yet he used Philip. He took Philip out of the place where he was, put him in a completely different place to make a community with that man over the scriptures. The same for us. We gather together, not just on Sunday morning, but during the week in our Bible studies, life groups, and personal relationships over God's word. How can I understand what the scriptures have to say unless I am learning it from another person whom God has indwelt by his spirit? And so we make that community happen. And then we go to our vocations. We go to our vocations. I know right around now you're hoping that that was saying go to your vacation, but it's not. It says vocation. Your vocation are the things that God has called you to do and to be. And he's called you to do and to be those things, not by some amazing, like, ripping open the sky and yelling down your name, but by simply putting you where you are right now. With the, the sex that you have, the age that you have, the skin color that you have, the resources that you have, the brain that you have, the personality that you have, the family that you have, all of those things God has uniquely placed you into, that's your vocation. And every one of our vocations is unique. If I lived your life, I would surely mess it up. And if you lived my life, you would surely mess it up. But God has put us all together with our unique gifts and talents and abilities to serve this city in an amazing way. So come together and then go to your vocation. That's what the text tells us, right? As soon as Philip baptizes the Ethiopian, the spirit of the Lord takes Philip away. It's not exactly a good mission plan. Uh, we just found out that we're planting a church in our church body in Boston. A man named Josh is going to be the pastor there. And imagine if we said to Josh, hey, uh, Josh, whenever you baptize someone, make sure you never see them again. It'd be a terrible ministry plan, right? But that's exactly what God does. And I think it's to show us something important. That those two men went from that moment where they connected over God's word back to their vocations. Philip, on his way to Caesarea to pre preach the gospel, the Ethiopian man back to his home country to do the same. And historically, we find out that, turns out it worked. 
What many of us know is that the Edict of Milan in the fourth century declared that Christianity was the national religion of the Roman Empire. What many of us don't know is that about the exact same time, Ethiopia also declared Christianity to be its national religion. How did that happen? Two men who came together over the scripture, who went back to their vocations and shared that same gospel message. So may that happen among us. Let's put ourselves in those uncomfortable situations, those people who we know need to hear the gospel. Let's engage them in a conversation, genuinely listening so that we have the chance also to share the message that we know right from God's scriptures. And then let's bring them in to this place. I love being here because I love you folks and I love the vibe that we have together. This is a great place for people to learn to know Jesus. Let's bring them in here and let them experience it. Let's pray for God to do that. Jesus, thank you for gathering this group of people at this place in this time to reach this city. We pray that you would give us the opportunities to reach people who do not know you because you can only make those things happen. We pray that you give us the words from your scriptures to share with those folks in those moments. Give us the boldness to speak honestly about our experience with the gospel so that others can experience it as well. And then continue to grow us into the community that you want us to be. A light in a dark place, a city on a hill, so that people are drawn to us, that they praise you for our good works and ultimately produce those good works as well. Amen.